Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. If you don't already support us, you can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you can click on one of our two friendly yellow buttons, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Fade. Friday, June 22nd, 2018. Now, I'm going to be out of pocket for a few weeks after this episode. <laughs> this is going to be a race to catch back up. I, Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Roseborough. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you to slow down, stop. Open up your Bible and compare. Compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. No shortage of crazy things being said out there. We take the time to open up God's Word to compare and contrast what the most popular pastors, preachers, teachers, conference speakers, self-proclaimed prophets, prophetesses, self-appointed apostles, which, by the way, are the only type today. There are no apostles today. Uh, apostles and apostolates, and those generally put forward by the evangelical industrial complex as those whom we need to be listening to, whose books apparently we need to be buying and whose small group curricula we should be studying instead of the Word of God. Yeah, weird how that works. Over and again, we demonstrate that the steady diet of doctrine, that's teaching that's put forward by for consumption by evangelicals, it's far from biblical, far from what God's Word says. Yeah, it's like not even close. Mm-hmm. All right, like I said at the very opening of the program, um, this is uh, the last episode in the month of June, and I will be back sometime by the second week of July. That's at least uh, the hope at this point. I uh, have to take a little bit of time off to attend to a family matter, some personal business, as well as some pastoral duties, and it, everything has kind of conspired to make it impossible for me to uh, come to the microphone for the next couple of weeks. And then when I do get back, <laughs> it's going to be just crazy go nuts, probably until uh, the PCR conference. So just to, just to give you a heads up and let you know, uh, the pro- podcast coming out in the month of July, that... Mm-hmm. It's going to be spotty, but uh, I will be recording them and releasing them as I am able is the best way I can put it. So let's talk about what we're going to do on today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. We're going to be doing a light episode, and we're going to listen to two more sermons by Pastor Gervais Nicholas Edward Charmley from Bethel Evangelical Free Church in Hanley, Stoke-on-Trent in the United Kingdom. And this is part of his earnestly contending series as he's been working through the book of Jude, the epistle of Jude. And uh, today we will be listening to two sermons. We'll take a break between the two of them. First one is titled Satan's Fifth Column, and that is on Jude verse 4. 
The next one after the break is called Facets of Rebellion. That's Jude verses 5 through 7. And so that will be today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. Let's get right to it. Here is the first of two sermons by Pastor Gervais Nicholas Edward Charmley on earnestly contending for the faith once delivered to the saints. Here's Satan's fifth column. Our scripture reading this evening is the epistle of Jude. As we have noted, Jude, the author, was the half-brother of Jesus, that is to say, he was the son of Joseph and Mary. And during the time before Jesus' resurrection, he did not believe. But through, it seems, a, a, an appearance of the Lord Jesus, the risen Lord, to him, he came to faith and came to be a teacher in God's church according to the grace of the Lord so Jude's epistle Jude a bond servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James to those who are called sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ mercy peace and love be multiplied to you beloved While I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain men have crept in unnoticed who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. But I want to remind you, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels, who did not keep their proper domain but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. As Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in a similar manner to these having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh are set forth as an example suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Likewise also those dreamers defile the flesh, reject authority and speak evil of dignitaries. Yet Michael the archangel, in contending with the devil when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these speak evil of whatever they do not know. And whatever they know naturally, like brute beasts, in these things they corrupt themselves. Woe to them. For they have gone in the way of Cain, have run greedily in the error of Balaam for profit, and perished in the rebellion of Korah. These are spots in your love feasts, while they feast with you without fear, serving only themselves. They are clouds without water, carried about by the winds, late autumn trees without fruit, twice dead pulled up by the root. Raging waves of the sea, foaming up their own shame, wandering stars, for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men also, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousand of his saints, 
to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have committed in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, complainers, walking according to their own lust, and they mouth great swelling words, flattering people to gain advantage. But you, beloved, remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how they told you that in that there would be mockers in the last time who would walk according to their own ungodly lusts. These are sensual persons who cause divisions not having the spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And on some have compassion, making a distinction. But others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To God our Saviour, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. May God bless the reading of his holy word. Now as we are going through this epistle, we have reached verse 4. In verse 3, Jude has been speaking of his concern to write concerning our common salvation, which is our experience as Christians, that of having been saved, of being saved, and looking forward to when we shall be fully saved. And he has said he felt he found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints, that there is a battle, there is a war on. There is opposition, there are enemies, and in verse 4 he brings up these enemies whom he is warning his readers against. And they are certain men, ungodly men, and they are men, They are human beings. The devil works in the church through human beings who bring false teachings. And the vast majority of false teachers don't set themselves up apart from the church, but they sneak in, they creep in to churches and within the churches begin to teach Things that are not according to scripture. They are, if you will, the devil's fifth column. His workers on the inside. And Jude tells us that these men crept in unnoticed. They infiltrated. And this is what enemy agents do. They sneak in unnoticed. And they make every effort not to be noticed. It is, of course, important for the church always to watch the gates, to make sure, as best as we can, that people do not come into the church so as to try to use the church 
as a, a vehicle for advancing unbiblical views, and yet it is always going to happen in some way, shape, or form. So the Apostle Paul writes in his second epistle to Timothy, chapter 3, But know this, through the last days perilous times will come, and biblically the last days begin with the the sending of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost. In other words, the last days are the period of the history of the earth between Pentecost and the end of the age. In the last days perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Now to this point, this could describe the vast majority of unbelievers. But then he says, having a form of godliness but denying its power. And from such people turn away, for of this sort are those who creep into households and make captives of gullible women loaded down with sins led away by various lusts, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now, as Janus and Yambras resisted Moses, it's a reference to the Egyptian magicians who stood against Moses, So do these also resist the truth, men of corrupt minds disapproved concerning the faith. But they will progress no further, for their folly will be manifest to all as theirs, i.e. the Egyptian magicians, also was. Here are these who they look out for the people who are most likely to be led astray. The false teacher is very careful to ask, what sort of person can I get my claws into? And they will often look for people who are not very sound in the faith themselves, people who are unstable, people who have some sort of love of that other than the truth. And they'll try to, to draw them away in some way, shape or form. And this infiltration goes on all over the place. Again and again you have people trying to, rather than start their own groups from scratch as it were, they'll try and get people from the churches. So it was in the churches in Galatia where you had the Judaizers come in. So Galatians 2.4, Paul says, And this occurred because of false brethren, secretly brought in, who came in by stealth to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage. False brethren. They are those who appear to be Christians, because of course, in the epistles, brethren is a, almost a technical term for Christians. And these are those who appeared to be brethren, but they are false brethren. The Greek is pseudodelphoi. 
They are those who are pretending to be what they are not. And they came in by stealth. They sneak in. And they are very cunning and very good at hiding themselves. Even Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light, says the apostle. And his, his ministers, his servants, dress themselves up, appear as servants of righteousness. Again, the apostle Peter writes in his second epistle, there were also false prophets among the people, Second Peter 2.1, even as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them, and bring on themselves swift destruction. Those who secretly bring in false teaching, the false teacher works their way into the church and looks out for vulnerable people who they can deceive. They are, as the Lord Jesus describes them, wolves in sheep's clothing. They wear sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves looking for prey to devour. And Jude says, these people who crept in were long ago marked out for this condemnation, just as the Apostle brings up Yanus and Yamras, the Egyptian magicians, as an example. And as we just read, the Apostle Peter speaks about the false prophets that there were in the Old Testament. It was one of the great problems that the people of God had to struggle against in the Old Testament was that, as well as the true prophets whom God sent... There were false prophets whom God did not send, who came with messages that were not God's message, but they were, they were their own message. And this is why in Deuteronomy 13, we have this warning against prophets and dreamers of dreams. If there arises amongst you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams and he gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or the wonder comes to pass of which he spoke to you saying, let us go after other gods which you have not known and let us serve them, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams for the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice. You shall serve him and hold fast to him. But that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death because he has spoken in order to turn you away from the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of bondage to entice you from the way in which the Lord your God commanded you to walk. So you shall put away the evil from your midst. Now the old covenant community was a nation and it was a theocracy, a nation that is that was governed by God. And therefore heresy, false teaching in the old covenant was treason because God was the king. And so it was punishable by death. In the new covenant, of course, that's not the case at all. In the New Covenant, rather, the, the community is the local church. And so the one who is a member of a local church, who begins to teach people,
people to turn away from God is to be put out of the church, is to be, as Paul speaks, handed over to Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme, that they are to be refused communion. They are to be treated by the people of God as unbelievers. What do we do with unbelievers? We preach the gospel to them, we evangelize them, we try to convert them. But if they persevere in that, in teaching that which is not true, then they remain outside, they remain excluded. The and it was a, a, a terrible thing that false prophets come. And they come saying things which simply aren't true. I have seen many of them go on, as Jude says, about things. They are dreamers. They go on about dreams they have had. Now, the reality is that everybody has dreams. And most people's dreams are just incredibly weird. They dream about things that are utterly nonsensical and strange and it's a lot of it has to do with what's been in your mind what you've eaten and the vast majority of dreams are not messages from God at all but there are some people who are absolutely obsessed and think that all their dreams are messages from God and they will very quickly fall into error these were dreamers but they were also ungodly men and God has condemned the ungodly and they were condemned they are marked out for this long ago because they are following verse 11 they have, they have gone in the way of Cain have run greedily in the area of Balaam for profit and perish in the rebellion of Korah. These three examples are the three great examples of error in the scriptures in the Old Testament. There is Cain who was a murderer and slew his brother. There was Balaam who was obsessed with money in the end. The it was all for profit for him. And there was Korah, who was obsessed with his own position. Who was obsessed with gaining power for himself. And these examples are those in whom false teachers have already been condemned. And we find again and again in the scriptures that the false prophets are condemned and what were these particular false teachers like they were ungodly men who turned the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ here we, have, we are told there were two very deeply related problems one of them was moral the other one was in terms of teaching and doctrine. And these two go together. They are inextricably linked. That false doctrine is always linked somewhere with false morality. And what these were doing was they were taking the true and glorious teaching of the grace of God and corrupting it, perverting it. 
Grace is a, a glorious Christian word. It's a word that, that we rejoice in. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me, says Mr. Mr. Newton. The Apostle Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. By grace you are saved. Again, Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. Verses 23-24. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Grace that sets us free, undeserved favour. It's not about what we have done. It's not about our works. But it is about the grace of God. Again, Romans 5.20 Moreover, the law entered that the offence might abound, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. So that as sin reigned in death, even so, Grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord, saved by grace. And again, Romans 6.14, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. And we could go on with many another passage. Grace is at the very centre of the New Testament. It is grace, the grace of God, the free grace of God that sent the Lord Jesus Christ to earth. In Christ, the grace of God has appeared, has been made manifest. The problem with these false teachers was they took this true teaching of grace, of Christian liberty, that the Christian is set free from condemnation and said therefore well they turned it into lewdness they were to use a technical term antinomians people who said it doesn't matter what you do you can live as you like the apostle Paul seems to have suffered from such people we find in Romans 6 1 he says what shall we say then shall we continue in sin that grace may abound certainly not How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? And again, verse 15. What then? Shall we sin because we're not under law but under grace? Certainly not. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. So Paul had this problem of people saying, Oh well, 
If grace abounds, if where sin abounded, grace much more abounds, why don't we sin the more that grace may abound the more? And you find people like this come up throughout Christian history. I've got here volume one of the works of John Bunyan and his, in this you have his uh, spiritual autobiography, Grace Abounding to the Chief of Sinners. And he writes, one thing I may not omit, he's speaking about his experience in coming to Christ. One thing I may not omit, there was a young man in our town to whom my heart before, that's before his conversion, was knit more than to any other, but he being a most wicked creature for cursing and swearing and whoring, I now shook him off and forsook his company. But about a quarter of a year after I had left him, I met him in a certain lane and asked him how he did. He, after his old, his old, old swearing and mad way, answered he was well. But Harry, said I, why do you swear and curse thus? What will become of you if you die in this condition? He answered me in a great chaff. What would the devil do for company were not for such as I am? About this time I met with some ranters of books that were put forth by some of our countrymen, which books were also highly esteemed by several old professors. He means old professors of Christianity. Some of these I read, but was not able to make a judgment about them. Wherefore, as I read in them and thought upon them, feeling myself unable to judge, I should betake myself to hearty prayer in this manner, O Lord, I am a fool, and not able to know the truth from error. Lord, leave me not to my own blindness, either to approve of or condemn this doctrine. If it be of God, let me not despise it. If it be of the devil, let me not embrace it. Lord, I lay my soul in this matter only at thy foot. Let me not be deceived, I humbly beseech thee. I had one religious intimate companion all this while, and that was the poor man I spoke of before, but about this time he also turned a most devilish ranter, and gave himself up to all manner of filthiness, especially uncleanness. He would also deny that there was a God, angel, or spirit, and would laugh at all exhortations to sobriety. When I laboured to rebuke his wickedness, he would laugh all the more, and pretend that he had gone through all religions and could never light on the right till now. He told me also that in a little time I should see all professors, that all Christians, turn the way of the ranters. Wherefore, abominating those cursed principles, I left his company forthwith and became to him as great a stranger as I had been a familiar. That was the end of the rant as well. They said, well, we need to sin all the more that we may experience grace all the more. And again and again, this error comes up in history. The notorious Gregory Rasputin belong to a sect that held such things, plunged themselves into error, and the idea was if we experience the grace of God in repentance, then we keep on sinning and keep on repenting, experience God's grace more and more. That's precisely what Jude is writing against. He says, no, because what does the grace of God actually do? Well, the Apostle Paul, writing to Titus, who struggled with People like this himself, he says this, Titus 2, from verse 11. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, 
teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Saviour Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. The grace of God actually teaches us to deny ungodliness and worldly lusts, worldly desires. It doesn't lead people to plunge themselves into wickedness, but quite the opposite. And these people turned it into lewdness, and so they are called ungodly, those who were impious. But not only did they have this moral error, but it was a a doctrinal error as well. They deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, in the English, we can't tell that there are two different words translated Lord here. The first, our only Lord God, is a different word. It's not the normal word translated Lord, kurios, in the New Testament. But it's another word which is despotes. Now, we have an English word derived from it, which is despot. Now, the English despot, of course, is a very unflattering term. It's a term that's applied to a tyrannical ruler. But in the Greek, the word despotes simply means a a ruler, a sovereign. And it doesn't have the same religious overtones as kurios. And this word is also used by the Apostle Peter in his second epistle when he writes of the ungodly men he had to deal with. Second Peter 2.1 who were even denying the Lord, despotess, who bought them. Peter and Jude are dealing with very similar situations. They use very similar language. And just here again is this word ruler, sovereign. Now that fits very well, of course, with the fact that these people were turning the grace of God into lewdness. They were saying, you don't have to adhere to any of God's laws. They denied that Christians are under any rule of life at all. In other words, they denied that God is our ruler, that God is the one who is able to lay down the law by which we should live. Therein was the great problem. And by doing that, they were denying the Lord. They were denying that Jesus Christ is our Lord and ruler. And saying basically that Christians do not have to adhere to the law. There are various ways in which people do this. There's the the absolute way of doing it. And we find this is, sadly, is said by some who claim to be evangelicals today. And what they do is they say, well, we don't have to adhere to the law. The Old Testament law is out the window. So we can approve of Whatever the world wants to approve of. Of course, the big thing today is homosexuality. That's just the big thing that is being pushed. And 
this sort of antinomian position makes it very, very easy to, to say to Christians, to bring into the church the idea that we have to approve, or that we can rather approve, of that which God calls toevah, an abomination. Because they say, well, the Old Testament's not for us. And yet the Bible is very different. Indeed, the scripture says, the Apostle John says in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 4, whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. Sin is an attitude that says we will not have this one to reign over us. And so these people who said they were Christians, yet because they said that God's has no rule for our lives, and we can live our lives like the world, they were denying God. It is indeed apostasy, that is a rebellion, a falling away from the truth, a falling away from God, even when they pretended they claimed to be Christians. The Apostle John says in his first epistle, 1 John chapter 2, reading from verse 22. Who is a liar? But he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. He is Antichrist, who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Here you have this denial. And it's a, a doctrinal denial, but it's a denial of Christ's authority over the believer's life. Which shows itself in a moral depravity. And all of this is rebellion. Satan has his fifth column, his infiltration, his infiltration unit of these certain ungodly men who creep unnoticed into the churches. Many of them have... Multi-million pound, multi-million dollar book deals. Someone has said that you go into a, a Christian bookshop of the, the kind, but they don't actually exercise any discernment at all over what's sold. can be very, very dangerous. You go into the Methodist Book Centre in Hanley, and there's a real mixture in the Methodist Book Centre. You've got some good, solid, sound stuff. And you've got some stuff that is so wacky and crazy that it is absolutely heretical. Denying the Lord. A couple of weeks ago I took a friend into Hanley, another minister at the Banner Conference, and we popped in the Nessie's Book Centre and coming out he said, that's a real, real dog's breakfast in there. And it, it is a real dog's breakfast. All kinds. And so many people who are making millions out of undiscerning Christians. Denying the Lord. We are therefore called to test everything. The Apostle Paul writes to the Thessalonians in 2 Thessalonians Chapter 5, he says, reading from verse 21, Test all things, hold fast what is good, abstain from every form of evil. 
Test all things. How fast what is good, abstain from every form of evil. And what is the test that we are to bring to all things? Well, it is the test of the Holy Scriptures. The test of the Bible, the whole Bible, and nothing but the Bible. It is the test that Isaiah speaks of in Isaiah chapter 8, verse 20. To the law and to the testimony. If they do not speak according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. The Bereans, when they heard the preaching of the Apostle, searched the scriptures daily to see whether these things are so. And we too are called to search the scriptures that we may learn indeed what is true. So that we may learn to embrace the true and reject all that is wrong. May God grant us this discernment, this understanding, that we may indeed learn of him, and that we may be preserved from Satan's agents. Amen. All right, that's sermon number one. We're going to take a quick break, and uh, when we come back, we will be listening to the second sermon for today from Pastor Jervis Nicholas Edwards' Charmingly Earnestly Contending series. Uh, Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. Subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there, at Christian. We'll be right back. This might feel like theological waterboarding, but you'll get used to it. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. Presents Church Day Select. Welcome, George Hayworth and Raymond Stewart. Whoa, dude, your GPS knows like who's getting in the car and stuff. Yeah, you know, it's like the newest model. My dad works for some big technology company called Cyberdyne. And, you know, he gave it to me as a birthday gift, but man, it's so smart, it's like really creepy. Huh, okay, man, this it's cool. I guess we're going over to Luke's house then? Yeah. Hey, GPS! What can I do for you? Could you, like, plot our route to Luke's house? Plotting route to Luke's house. There is an accident on the I-95 freeway approximately 10 miles from your current location. Do you wish to take the side streets? Well, I guess we're going to have to. Yeah, go ahead and take the side streets. Recalculating. And we're on our way, dude! In 300 feet, make a left turn. So, Ray, 
What'd you think about the sermon last Sunday? Yeah, I thought it was okay, I guess. Okay? Dude, it like totally changed my life. What do you mean, bro? In half a mile, make a right turn. Well, I was meditating on the whole Jesus died for me thing. And then I realized that by doing that, Jesus was saying to me, Dude, you are so worth it. Yeah, I know that, man. Yeah, but it's even better than that. Really, man? Like, how so? Well, think about it. Not only does Jesus' death prove that I was worth it, well, that also means that I have some ridiculously important dream destiny that I'm supposed to fulfill. How do you figure? Well... Jesus is the Son of God, right? Right. Well, that means it wasn't some third-rate angel that died for me, right? Yeah, you're right. Turn right in 500 feet. Fact. Jesus, he's like the most important dude in the whole universe. And if Jesus is the most important dude in the whole universe, well, he wouldn't waste his time dying for a nobody. So, the way I figure... That means I must really be a somebody. And and that means that the reason why Jesus died for me is so that I can accomplish some ridiculously important destiny. I mean, after all, important people don't waste their time dying for unimportant people. Make a right turn in 50 feet. All right, dude, I think I'm tracking with you now. So I'm thinking... I've got, like, some uber-cosmic destiny that I've got to achieve. I bet there's some planet on the other side of the galaxy that I'm the one that's supposed to save it. You've just missed the turn. Recalculating. So does that make you, like, Luke Skywalker or something? Not even! I mean, I've got to be way more important than Luke Skywalker. In 500 feet, please make an illegal U-turn. So you're like Yoda. Don't insult my greatness, dude. Remember, the Son of God died for me. Whoa, 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 dude. Like, who would be greater than Yoda? I feel like I'm being ignored. The Force itself. Dude, you think you're as important as the Force? That would make you, like, God. Now you're finally starting to see the light, dude. You morons. You are both wrong. You are both sinners who truly deserve death and hell. You're not God. You're not the Force. You're not Yoda. And you're certainly not Luke Skywalker. You're just two guys who are ten feet from the edge of a very treacherous cliff. Oh, I guess if I was a god, I would have seen this coming. Now you're finally starting to see the light. Too soon? Exactly how do ye know that she be a heretic? She be endorsing the health and wealth heresy. Does he be speaking the truth? Jesus died to make us rich. (laughs) And what exactly do we do with heretics? Oh, we throw them in the boo box. No, no, no. We preach the gospel to them. 
what if um the heretic doesn't repent? Then we throw them in the boo box. Is to heretic, to R is to pirate. Get yourself over to www.piratechristianradio.com forward slash Refermanda and purchase yourself a copy of the game Refermanda and join the fight for the faith today. Hey everyone, it's Rex here to tell you about a product that I use on a daily basis. It's Coffee by Gillespie. It's delicious. It's got the caffeine you need to be a functioning member of society and it's, it's coffee. There's all sorts of different blends to choose from that are themed alongside the church calendar. So not only does it taste insanely good, but it's also liturgical. Somehow. All you have to do is order it online at gillespie.coffee and it'll arrive at your door in a convenient, resealable bag filled with either whole bean or pre-ground coffee. I personally like mine as whole bean because it goes so well with milk. Yeah. Now that's what I call a balanced breakfast. So head on over to gillespie.coffee and get some. That's G-I-L-L-E-S-P-I-E dot coffee. Rex out! Warning, listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to think that Scripture teaches that we are to earnestly contend for the faith once delivered to the saints. Because it does. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you and to the world. And you can partner with us. It is a partnership. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our three friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. The other says become a patron. When you join our crew, you get to pick your rank in our crew, and rank is based upon your monthly commitment. Lowest rank is Powder Monkey at $9.00. 95 cents a month after that gunner's made at 24.95 a month from there master gunner at 49.95 a month and then quartermaster 99.95 a month joining our crew is a great way to support us if you would like to make a one-time contribution click on the donate button if you'd like to become a patron on patreon uh, click on the become a patron button and if you'd like to support us the traditional way you can make your gift payable to fighting for the faith send it to post office box 13344 Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And let me thank you for your support. We truly cannot do what we are doing here without it. All right, here is sermon number two uh, for our light episode today. This one's titled Facets of Rebellion, and it is on Jude verses 5 through 7. Here again is Pastor Gervais Nicholas Edward Charmley. Our scripture reading this evening is the... Epistle of Jude, the Epistle of Jude, a relatively short epistle written by 
the half-brother of the Lord Jesus Christ, who describes himself as a bondservant of Jesus Christ, who writes telling believers to contend earnestly for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. So the epistle of Jude, which of course only has the one chapter, Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, sanctified by God the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ. Mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain men have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men, who turn the grace of our God into lewdness, and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. But I want to remind you, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe, And the angels, who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. As Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in a similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Likewise also these dreamers defile the flesh, reject authority, and speak evil of dignitaries. Yet Michael the archangel, in contending with the devil when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke you, that these speak evil of whatever they do not know, and whatever they know naturally, like brute beasts in these things, they corrupt themselves. Woe to them, for they have gone in the way of Cain, have run greedily in the error of Balaam for profit, and perished in the rebellion of Korah. These are spots in your love feasts, while they feast with you without fear, serving only themselves. They are clouds without water, carried about by the wind, late autumn trees without fruit, twice dead, pulled up by the root." Raging waves of the sea, foaming up their own shame, wandering stars for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men also, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have committed in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, complainers, walking according to their own lusts, and they mouth great swelling words, flattering people to gain advantage. But you, beloved... Remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how they told you that there would be mockers in the last time who would walk according to their own ungodly lusts. 
These are sensual persons who cause divisions not having the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, pray in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And on some have compassion, making a distinction. But others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To God our Saviour, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. And may God bless the reading of his holy word. Now as we have been looking at this epistle, we have got to verse 5. In verse 4, Jude brings up the enemy within, the demonic fifth column, if you will. Those men who appeared to be Christians, who crept in unnoticed, these agents of the evil one, ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. They were both immoral and heretical. They were immoral in that they made the grace of God, the fact that that God forgives sin, an excuse to sin. And they were heretical in that they denied in some way the lordship of Christ. The word translated Lord in only Lord God is not the same word translated Lord as in our Lord Jesus Christ. It is the word despotess, from which we get the English word despot, and it means a sovereign ruler. So they were heretical. And now Jude introduces his, if you will, his biblical text, because Jude isn't urging his own authority but the authority of the word of God. And Jude here brings up three examples that are spoken of in the word of God of rebellion against God. Three examples of rebellion which he says he wants to remind his readers about. The first is the example of Israel And the Exodus generation, the generation who were adults at the time of the Exodus. The second are the angels who rebelled. And the third, Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities of the plain. And the very fact that Jude brings these up without going into a great amount of detail tells us that these were topics that his readers knew about. I want to remind you, though you once knew this, he doesn't mean that they've forgotten the facts so much as they've overlooked, perhaps, the meaning, the interpretation. The Bible does not just give us facts, but the interpretation of these facts. And these striking examples of apostasy, rebellion against God, and judgment. And the the point here is that Each of these examples gives us a a facet 
of rebellion and also tells us something about judgment. And first of all, he brings up those who were saved out of Egypt. They were delivered from Egypt. It was the great deliverance of the Old Testament. It is, of course, detailed for us in the book of Exodus, how it was that God's people, having been enslaved in Egypt, were set free, they were liberated, they were saved and delivered by the strong arm of God. That it was not a matter of them rising up in rebellion and seeking liberation from their oppressors, but it was that God himself intervened. And we find this, as I say, detailed for us in the book of Exodus. So it was that God appeared to Moses in the wilderness, in the burning bush. And Moses, and God said to Moses, Exodus 3, 7, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt, and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. So I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. And he goes on to send Moses to speak to Pharaoh saying, let my people go. And we know that Pharaoh refused And God sent the plagues, the ten plagues on Egypt, forcing Pharaoh to release God's people. And how it was that they were gloriously delivered by the work of God. So that in Psalm 135 they sing of this, the psalmist sings of this and says... Of God he destroyed the firstborn of Egypt, both of man and beast. He sent, uh, he sent signs and wonders in the midst of you, O Egypt, upon Pharaoh and his servants. What a marvellous thing to send that judgment of God. And again, Psalm 136, to him who struck Egypt in their firstborn, verse 10, for his mercy endures forever, and brought out Israel from among them, for his mercy endures forever, with a strong hand and with an outstretched arm, for his mercy endures forever. To him who divided the Red Sea in two, for his mercy endures forever, and made Israel pass through the midst of it, for his mercy endures forever, but overthrew Pharaoh and his army in the Red Sea, for his mercy endures Forever. This is a great example of the mercy of God. It was entirely gracious. And God spoke that promise to them. He told them that he would deliver them from Egypt and bring them into the land. And yet the reality is that the Exodus generation, the adults who left Egypt, did not enter into the land. And the reason they did not enter into the land was, as Jude here says, it was the fact they did not believe. It's that business that's described in Numbers 13 and 14, how they sent 
spies into the land of Canaan to explore it, to seek out what it was like and to bring back word. And there were 12 of them, one for each of the tribes. And 10 of them brought back an ill report and two brought back a good report. And so we read in Numbers 13, reading from verse 26, Now they departed and came back to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the children of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Then they told him and said, We went to the land where you sent us. It it truly flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the mountains. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the banks of the Jordan. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. But the men who who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land, which they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone as spies, a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. Which is it? Is it one that destroys inhabitants or one that has strong inhabitants? It can't be both. But you see, unbelief is like that. There we saw the giants, the descendants of Anak, came from the giants. And we were like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we were in their sight. And they did not believe. And so the whole generation, apart from two men... Joshua and Caleb, who did believe, perished in the wilderness because they did not believe. And this is brought out again for us in the epistle to the Hebrews, the writer of the Hebrews speaks on this and says, reading Hebrews Chapter 3 from verse 7, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you will hear his voice, and this is, of course, a quote from Psalm 95. Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, in the day of trial in the wilderness, where my fathers tested me, tried me, and saw my works forty years. Therefore, I was angry with that generation and said, They always go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways. So I swore in my wrath that they should not enter my rest. Beware, brethren. Let there be in any, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you should be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. While it is said today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For indeed... For who, having heard, rebelled? Indeed, it, it, was it not all who came to Egypt led by Moses? Now, with whom was he angry forty years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey? So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. 
they did not believe. And this is the first aspect of rebellion, apostasy against God that Jude brings in. It's unbelief. It's rooted in unbelief. Hearing the word of God but not believing it. Not believing that God can do what he says he can do. Not believing that God is who he says he is. And what was the result? That God destroyed those who did not believe. And the false teachers in denying God show that they are unbelieving because they are proclaiming a different Lord, a different God than the God who really is. And those who disbelieve the word of God, who stand against the word of God, will be destroyed. Secondly, Jude brings up the angels who fell. Now, very little is said in scripture of the fall of the angels. But there is such a thing, that there was a fall in the angelic realm, is made clear enough with the existence of evil spirits, with the existence of the devil himself. All of this makes it quite clear there is such a thing as the fallen angels. But the Bible doesn't really focus on the angels because it's not written to angels, it's written to human beings. So, one of the clearest texts here in the words of our Lord Jesus Christ is in Matthew chapter 25, Matthew 25, 41. Then he will also say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. So we are told that the everlasting fire of hell is prepared for the devil and his angels. In Second Peter chapter 4, Second Peter chapter 4, we have another reference to the fall. Sorry, Second Peter 2, 4. There is no chapter 4 Second Peter. Um, Second Peter 2, 4. For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell, and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment. And then the third reference is in Revelation chapter 12, reading from verse 7. And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought, but they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceived the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Again, a reference to rebellious angels, angels fighting, fighting against God. Now the the Jews had all kinds of legends about the, the fall of the angels. People delight to go into detail, speculation about this. Milton, of course, wrote Paradise Lost that draws on a lot of these Jewish traditions. But we're told very little. And Jew would... Con- as indeed 
Peter contrasts markedly with these Jewish traditions. All he says is that the fallen angels did not keep their proper domain. That is to say, they rebelled against the station that was assigned to them by God. Rather than keeping that position God had given them, they wanted something else. They were not content with what God had given them. And this discontentedness with what God has given is a a fundamental aspect of apostasy, rebellion against God. This is why, of course, Jude goes on in verse 8 to refer to these dreamers. We are told elsewhere that False teachers very often appeal to visions. They go on in detail about visions that they claim to have seen. That they're not content with what God has given. They are not content with the calling that God has given, with the the revelation God has given. They want to know more. They want to be more. And so false teachers very, very often work at stoking people's egos and stoking their own egos. I was just um, earlier today on the BBC News website and they get these various news stories and one of them was about uh, one of these US televangelists uh, asking his uh, dupes, his supporters, for money to buy a brand new private jet. Not content, you see, with what God has given. And, of course, the way these people work it, they say, well, look at me, I'm so rich. If you give money to me, then God will bless you and make you rich. Of course, he never does. Because that's not what God has said. But again, they feed on people's discontentedness. They make people discontented. Again, one of the things that false teachers often do is they create the idea of a two-tier Christianity. That they say you're ordinary Christians, but there are super Christians. The Apostle Paul speaks of the so-called super apostles, the people who said they were even greater than the apostles. There's only one kind of Christian. This, of course, is part of the point that we find again and again in the scriptures, that Jude, even opening his epistle, says to those who are called, sanctified by God the Father, preserved in Jesus Christ. And again, verse 3, our common salvation. There's only one sort of Christian. There's degrees of maturity among Christians, but there is only one sort of Christian. There are not different levels of being a Christian. But what the false teachers do is they try to draw people to become discontented. They themselves reject what God has said. They reject God's authority. And what was the result of these angels who rejected God's authority? He has reserved them in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of that great day. That great day is a phrase that is found in many places in the scripture, or phrases like it, and of course it refers to the day of judgment, that set time, that day that God has appointed when he shall judge the world. 
through the Lord Jesus Christ. These people are waiting the judgment. There's a day coming when they will be condemned just like those fallen angels. Judgment to come. And thirdly he brings up the example of Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them. This of course is found in the book of Genesis. And it is one of the most striking examples of the judgment of God. It's appealed to again and again in scripture as an example of God's judgment. We find this mentioned in, first of all, these cities mentioned in Genesis 13, when Lot, Abraham's nephew, separated from him and We read from verse 10, And Lot lifted his eyes and saw all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere, before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as you go towards Zor. Then Lot chose for himself all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated from each other. Abram dwelt in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain, and pitched his tent even as far as Sodom. But the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. They were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. And so in Genesis 18... Verse 20, the Lord said, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is very great, and because their sin is very grave, I will go down now and see where they have done altogether according to the outcry against it that has come to me. And if not, I will know. It doesn't mean the Lord didn't know, but it's speaking to us on our level. It's the idea of this solemn commission. This official visit to check up upon them. And that Sodom was to be destroyed by the judgment of God. In Genesis 19 we have the account of how two angels went into Sodom. The men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked. And they cried and they said to Lot. They called out to Lot and said to him, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them carnally, vile men that they were. And so the men of Sodom and the cities of the plain were destroyed. And how were they destroyed? Genesis 19:24. Then the Lord rained brimstone and fire on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. So he overthrew those cities, all the plain all the inhabitants of the cities, and what grew on the ground. Fire from heaven. You know the the repetition, the Lord rained brimstone and fire from the Lord. The emphasis, this was divine judgment. This wasn't some natural thing. You'll find in some commentaries, people trying to say, well, what natural event or natural elements could have been used for this? But the whole point is it's not a natural occurrence in any way. It's not as if you've got some sort of natural bitumen deposits or natural oil deposits or natural gas exploding. 
It's that God rained brimstone and fire. The Lord rained brimstone and fire on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. It is a remarkable example of direct divine judgment. And that judgment fell upon them because of their extreme wickedness. They're giving themselves over. And so we find that Sodom and Gomorrah are referenced as examples, as an example, rather, of the judgment of God in various places. First of all, Isaiah chapter 3, verse 9, speaking about the the openness, the boldness, the, the shamelessness of it. The look on their countenance witnesses against them. And they declare their sin as Sodom. They do not hide it. Woe to their soul. For they have brought evil upon themselves. And again in Ezekiel. In the the book of the prophet Ezekiel. They are brought up as an example. Ezekiel chapter 16. Reading from verse 49. Look. This was the iniquity of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had pride, fullness of food, and abundance of idleness. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and needy. And they were haughty and committed abomination before me. Therefore I took them away as I saw fit. They committed abomination. That word abomination is technical term almost for those things that the Lord treats and views as absolutely detestable. And so it is here that Jude speaks of they gave themselves over to sexual immorality and they went after strange flesh. These were fleshly lusts. And again it's this element of Rebellion against God here of defying the natural order of things. It's what we find in Romans chapter 1. Just to bring one of a number of references that could be brought. We find, it's mentioned here, Romans chapter 1 verse 26. For this reason God gave them up to vile passions. We can Read the rest. Later it is sorry reading. All manner of immorality. Rebelling against the order that God has given. And embracing instead lawlessness. Moral lawlessness. And what was the result of this? They suffered the vengeance of eternal fire. The Lord rained fire from the Lord out of heaven upon them. So these false teachers and those who follow them, so all false teachers and those who follow them, are heading for eternal fire. That is the eternal fire of hell. The fire that is never quenched, where the worm never dies. That terrible judgment that is not merely the result of the natural course of things, but is 
wrought by God himself, that supernatural judgment, that judgment that is the Lord himself sitting as judge. It is the the great and signal example of judgment. There are many places in scripture, we don't have time to look at them, in which this example is brought up. Just the one in Second Peter chapter 2 verse 6. The, turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes. Condemned them to destruction. Making them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly. They're an example to all those who rebel against God. Of the wrath to come. When it will not just be a small area that has fire rained upon it, but that there will be, there is the eternal lake of fire. And so here Jude gives us three three aspects of rebellion against God and three aspects of God's judgment. First of all, he brings us Israel, those who were brought out of Egypt, those who had a revelation of God, they had the word of God, they didn't believe the word of God, and so they were destroyed. That's unbelief. Secondly, there was the dissatisfaction with the way God had made things, with God's own order among the angels. And as a result, they are awaiting eternal Punishment. They are awaiting the day, the punishment of that day. And thirdly, Sodom and Gomorrah, immorality, rebellion against God's law, which brings eternal fire, the wrath of God, the active wrath of God from heaven. And so, pointing up these things, he says, rebellion leads to judgment. Rebellion. Unbelief, dissatisfaction with God's order, rebellion against God's law leads to destruction and eternal destruction, eternal fire. And thus, thus it is why the faith once for all delivered to the saints must be contended for, must be proclaimed. That people may be delivered from this, from this eternal fire to which rebellion leads. May God grant that we, knowing these things, should indeed seek to turn others away from what is false and unto what is true through our Lord Jesus Christ. And for his sake. Amen. Amen. So what do you think? Love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there, at Christian. Till the second week of July, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ's vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen. <laughs>